welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, October 17th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, here's the grab bag of things the debate pushed aside. The Q3 fundraising numbers are in. Messam tells the FEC he raised just $5 in three months. Ten candidates spent more than they raised. What the Republican primary candidates raised. What happened financially to the candidates who dropped out. Tom Steyer spends tens of millions of dollars on his own campaign. The dates for the actual presidential debates in 2020 have been announced. Yang will do a marathon online Q&A this Friday. Sanders will get a big endorsement on Saturday. Biden and Warren swap places in polling averages. And Tuesday's debate had the worst TV viewing numbers yet. Well, that's a lot. Here's what you missed this week from the campaign trail. First up today, all the money stuff. Now, Wednesday night at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time was the filing deadline for the Federal Election Commission. What that means is everybody running for president had to submit detailed reports of how much they had raised in the past three months, how much they had spent in the last three months, and, crucially, how much cash they still have in the bank. So today we're going to dig into a couple of stories based on that. They will be super short since we've already covered a lot of the bigger headlines when folks announced their numbers early. The first fundraising story is a minor bummer for those of us who spent a lot of time in Florida. I lived there for 13 years, folks, and I can tell you, hydration and sunscreen are both no joke. Anyway, Wayne Messam, the mayor of Miramar, Florida, filed his fundraising report with the FEC just like everybody else. But the filing has one rather upsetting detail. He raised $5. Yes, the database shows that he brought in a grand total of five U.S. dollars during the entire three-month period, and he spent zero dollars. Now, this compares kind of badly to the more than $50,000 he raised in Q2 and just over $43,000 in Q1. But the good news is his actual raise was probably better than five bucks. In a story for USA Today, Nicholas Wu wrote, quote, Messam's campaign said there had been a computer glitch, though they did not say how much the campaign had actually raised. End quote. Next in the fundraising bonanza of the 19 Democrats still running, 10 of them spent more money than they raised in Q3. That actually includes Joe Biden, who spent about $2 million more than he raised. But the biggest trouble may be for Senator Amy Klobuchar, who spent $7.8 million, but she raised just $4.8 million. On the bright side for Klobuchar, she had a stellar online fundraising day right after her debate performance. She raised $1.1 million in just 24 hours. So if she repeats that just a few more times, she will close that deficit. Next up, let's not forget that there are multiple Republicans running in the primary against Donald Trump. Now, Trump has already announced a massive raise that we covered last week, but his competitors brought in some money too. Former Representative Joe Walsh raised $129,000 and also loaned his own campaign $100,000. So not much compared to the Democrats. 
Former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford filed early, and his filing showed a raise of just $60,000. So that's less than half of what Walsh brought in. But Sanford has just under $1.4 million in cash on hand, because, let's not forget, he has run for many political offices before this one. He transferred a giant pile of money over from his congressional fund, which was just still sitting around. And last up, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld raised just under half a million dollars in Q3. Now, he is outraising his two competitors handily, but we have to admit that their campaigns are all on an absolute shoestring budget compared to the major Democrats and, of course, the sitting president. In a Politico analysis, we can now see very clearly what happened to the various Democrats who dropped out of the race recently. They ran out of money. I'll just cover them in the order of their dropping out and their net losses in Q3. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean they actually ended in the red, like owing money to people, but it did mean they spent more than they raised in Q3, they saw the trend, so they dropped out before it became financially impossible to proceed. Okay, Swalwell ended at minus 520,000. Hickenlooper ended at minus 830,000. Inslee ended at minus 890,000. Moulton ended at minus 660,000. Gillibrand ended at minus 6.7 million. And de Blasio ended at minus 690,000. So that's that. Link in the show notes for way more details. And for our last money-related story of the day, let me just quote Adam K. Raymond writing for New York Magazine. Quote, California billionaire Tom Steyer spent big in the third quarter after getting into the race in early July, dropping a staggering $47 million, a sum that the LA Times says places him on track to join the biggest self-funding political candidates in American history. The $47 million is nearly all of the $49.6 million that Steyer brought in during the third quarter. Who did the money come from? Nearly $1.5 million from small donors, a half million dollars from large donors, and $47.6 million from Steyer himself. End quote. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
Next up, in case you like marking your calendar for things that are really far in the future, the Commission on Presidential Debates announced the schedule for the actual presidential debates in 2020. Meaning, once we have a Democratic candidate, and presumably President Donald Trump is the Republican candidate, when specifically will those debates occur? Well, here's what we've got. The first presidential debate is on September 29th, 2020. It'll be held at the University of Notre Dame. Now, by the way, that is just over one month after the Republican National Convention. By contrast, the Democratic Convention is in mid-July, so we should know both candidates by July at the latest, unless something super weird happens. Okay, anyway, the vice presidential debate is on October 7th, 2020 at the University of Utah. Then you've got the second presidential debate on October 15th, 2020 at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And the third and final presidential debate will be on October 22nd, 2020 at Belmont University in Nashville. That's pretty much all the info we have right now. Check out the link in the show notes if you want to read up on the official rules. Warning, those rules are very, very dry. Entrepreneur Andrew Yang will spend 10 hours on Friday, that's tomorrow, or if you're late listening to this, probably right now, answering questions online. You can go to his website, yang2020.com, to submit questions now, or just watch what he's doing in the answering. The answers will come from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday. According to a press release from his campaign, Yang will split the time between a live video stream and using a variety of Q&A systems. Platforms that will be part of this include his own website, which is the best place to start, I think, plus Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. Link in the show notes, of course. Now, to my knowledge, this is the single longest Q&A event I've seen for a candidate so far. As Yang mentioned in the debate, the questions that came in on Tuesday night are probably the most likely to be covered, though you've still got a shot if you get that question in soon. At the debate, Senator Bernie Sanders mentioned that he will have a special guest at his rally on Saturday. That special guest is Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, and she is expected to officially endorse Sanders at that rally. Reporters Sean Sullivan and Dave Weigel broke that news in the Washington Post, and noted that another member of the squad, Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, had announced her endorsement of Sanders on Tuesday this week. So, Sanders will soon have at least half of the squad's support. In an article for The Cut, Amanda Arnold wrote, quote, Although a spokesperson for Ocasio-Cortez declined to officially confirm that an endorsement was forthcoming, he told the outlet that the congresswoman's team was looking forward to Saturday, the same day of Sanders' New York City rally, where he has teased the presence of a special guest. Sanders has reason to be celebrating. These endorsements, both official and rumored, are significant. Since the freshman congresswomen were sworn into office this past January, they have bravely and relentlessly challenged the Democratic establishment to adopt more progressive platforms on everything from climate change to health care. As a result, the public has watched in anticipation to see which of the two most progressive candidates they would support, Sanders or Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. End quote. So expect that Saturday rally to be a big one, and expect the current president to tweet some opinions about all of that. (music) 
Last week, I told you about how Senator Elizabeth Warren had taken the top spot in the Real Clear Politics polling average, also known as RCP. But at the time, she had not taken that top spot in my preferred polling average site, which is The Economist. Well, things have changed since then as more polls have come out. And guess what? Biden is back on top in RCP, but Warren is now on top in The Economist. Right now, as I read this, Biden is ahead 29 to 23 in RCP. Over on The Economist, Warren is ahead 27 to 25. So the battle of averages continues. It is kind of interesting, and there are links in the show notes if you're into this kind of stuff, to look at why this is happening. The short answer is we have a lot of polls that come in with commanding leads for Biden. Looking at RCP, there's a trio of polls that have Biden ahead by double digits. But then you also have a trio of polls which give Warren single-digit leads in the three or four-point range. As time goes on, the window of which polls are included in the average shifts. So for this window, Biden is up. Much like in the previous window, Biden was momentarily down. Because of that, I think it's still fair to call these two candidates co-frontrunners. And last up today, the ratings are in for Tuesday night's debate, and they are not amazing. Long story short, this was the lowest TV viewership for a DNC debate this year so far, but it wasn't a total blowout. This CNN debate had an estimated 8.3 million TV viewers compared to 9.7 million in July, which was the last time CNN hosted one of these. Counting the number of people who watch an event like this is becoming tricky. While CNN can use Nielsen data for its TV viewership, it can be harder to figure out the actual number of viewers on streaming platforms and especially on things like radio. Remember, NPR carried this debate for the first time, and their reach is huge. It's something like 1.3 million listeners across almost 400 different stations. But did those people listen? Well, it's kind of hard to count. Outfits like Nielsen do attempt to measure this stuff, but it does get kind of squishy when you're adding up different kinds of media. And then you have to deal with streaming. CNN said there were 9.2 million quote-unquote stream starts, but that doesn't mean much, given the fact that I personally started my stream three times, one of them due to a glitch in the middle of the event. So I had to like cancel out and go back, and that's a stream start, I think. There's also a metric CNN release saying that 449,000 people live-streamed the average minute of the debate, which, you know, might imply that around a half million people streamed this thing. But again, how many people watched each stream in each given room? Very hard to know. Long story short, viewership is down a bit, but that may be tied to the fact that this TV broadcast aired only on cable, while the debates with higher TV ratings all showed up on over-the-air broadcast TV, which is far more accessible to far more people. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, after I post today's episode, I am heading over to the Classic Tetris World Championship in Portland. I'm going to run the camera department over there. This is the 10th annual competition, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to check out the last link in the show notes. I've worked with these folks for years and even worked on a couple of documentaries about this tournament. Tetris is my favorite sport, no kidding, and if you tune in this weekend, I think you might see why. So check that out if you're into it. 
A reminder on podcast schedules. There is no show on Friday. That's tomorrow. And then on Monday, Kirby Ferguson will be here to talk about the Republican primaries. I will be back at you with regular programming on Tuesday and onward. So as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all on Tuesday. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.